First John chapter <clears throat> chapter three. First John chapter three, it's where we're going to be. As we work our way through the book of John. So John has used this term, little children, several times now as we've gone through this letter. And we're a little more than halfway through John's letter to the church here. And last week, as we finished up chapter 2, we saw where John was talking about abiding in Christ. And the confidence that we are to have at Christ's coming. And that if we know that Christ is righteous, we know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. That was the ending verse of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Then verse then chapter 3. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 and I'm going to read down to verse 9. First John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as He is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil." For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this good news, this gospel message, Lord, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and that even though we sin, Lord, we have been given the privilege, the right to confess our sins, and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have that promise. But more than that, Lord, you show us in your word in this letter here that we abide in you. And if we abide in you, Lord, we are to live and to walk just as you walked and just as you lived. Lord, just as you are holy, we are to be holy. 
And Lord, by your grace in Jesus Christ, we can do that now. We are no longer held captive and ruled by sin. We have been set free from sin, and we can walk now in the newness of life that has been gifted to us by grace in Jesus Christ. Father, help us as your children, as children of God. Help us to walk in righteousness. Help us to live and practice righteousness so that the world will know that we are truly different. Though we are in the world, we are not of this world. Father, help us as your church to be a bright and a clear witness and salt that has not lost its flavor so that we would be your witnesses for your glory in the earth. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed or given to us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, because of that, because of the fact that we are His children, and we are His children because God has poured His love into our hearts, God has birthed us. We did not birth ourselves. God birthed us. He caused us to be born again, to become His children. And as His children, therefore the world does not know us. And the reason the world does not know us is because the world did not know Him. So by God's grace, we have been made children of God. The word children speaks of being the offspring of God. So in the Greek, there's more than one word translated child or children. Uh, in English, we say child. In, in the Greek, there was uh, a couple of different words. And this word here, translated child, specifically speaks of one that is begotten or born of the Father. So this is not just someone brought into the household. This is not just someone who lives in the home and is treated like a child. This, this term, children of God, is describing our relationship to the Father. We have been made His children. And as members of His household, we are that by birth. That is by being born again by the Spirit. By grace through faith in Jesus. So the world does not know us because it does not know Him. The one who gave us spiritual birth and made us His own. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. There is a difference. We live in the world. We interact in the world and with the world. We work here. We live here. We play here. We have our life here. But our life does not come from the world. And we're not born of the world. We've been born again from above. We have a new birth, a spiritual birth. We were all born in our first birth. You know how you know whether you were born in your first birth? Because you're here. It, you know, I always tell people, if, if someone would not have recorded the day of your birth, you, you wouldn't know when you were born. You might have a good estimate. But you wouldn't know exactly. The only reason you know is because someone recorded that and told you that's your birthday. It's not because you remember 
being born because you don't remember being born. But you can know that you have been born because you're here. And we can all think back. I was thinking of my dear aunt, my Aunt B. Yes, I had an Aunt B. And I didn't really know my grandparents. My grandmother on my father's side died in 1924, <laughs> decades before I was born. And my other grandmother on my mother's side, I just remember as a small child. And I don't have very many memories of her. But my Aunt B, who did not have children of her own, she was, she was like my grandmother. She was my Aunt B. And I can remember, I must have been very small, and we were at my brother's house, and I just, one of those random memories. You ever have those? Just random memories. And I was just thinking back, and I realized in this random memory, I had to be pretty small because I was sitting, I was sitting in one of these, garden carts and it was turned up and I was sitting inside of it. I was small enough to sit inside this cart and my aunt was in the house and I thought I was there by myself and I was just sitting there. Don't know what I was doing. And when I went back in, my aunt said, I saw you out there. I was watching you. Well, I'm out there by the street. And I'm sure she was just watching me to make sure that I didn't like wander into the street or something. And the point is, I, I realized out of this random memory, man, I was like little. And I'm thinking about my grandkids, and I'm thinking I couldn't have been any bigger than Gideon. Might have been the size of Luke or Ezra. I can remember my mom giving me a bath in our sink. I had to be like really small. But I don't remember being born. I just know I, I was born because I'm here. Well, when were you born again? That's a good question. But the point is not to know exactly when you were born again. The point is to know that you are born of God. And how do you know that you are born of God? Because you're here. Not, not in your humanity, but because you're here in your new birth. Well, just like I asked the children, how do you know that you are children of God? Well, if you are living as a child of God, if you're loving God and trusting God and practicing righteousness, or as we've already read in this letter, John says, walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk just as he walked. And if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, if we are walking just as he walked, if we are seeking to do the will of our Father just as Jesus sought and did the will of his Father, if we are living a life of righteousness, walking as Jesus walked, trusting him and loving him and striving and desiring to be like him, then we can know that we are children of God and we can know that we are born of God. Now, we're not, we're not born of God because we do that. We do that because we're born of God. Just like being born. You aren't born because you're here. You're here because you were born. You don't live righteously to be born again. You live righteously because you are born again. And the world does not know us, John writes, because the one who gave us birth is not known by the world. 
We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And Jesus warned his disciples that they would be rejected by the world because the world does not know him or the Father. John 16, 3. Jesus said to his disciples, before he is taken, while they're still celebrating the Last Supper, before they go to the garden, Jesus said, and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. This is why we are to be different from the world. As the Apostle James writes, we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, James 1.27. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. John goes on and he writes in verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. I don't know if you realize what an amazing and profound statement that is. It's really beyond our ability to comprehend it. Now we are children of God. That now is important. You're not going to become a child of God one day when you die and go to heaven. You are a child of God now. Now. We are children of God. That reality is settled, and that reality is accomplished by God's grace. What is not yet revealed is what we shall be. So John says, now we are children of God, but what we shall be has not been revealed. But John gives us assurance that when Christ is revealed, we shall be like him. And that is an incredible promise. One that should give us hope in the most hopeless of times. One that gives us light in the darkest of times. We shall be like Him. Why? For we shall see Him as He is. This is why we will be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. Right now, even though we are children of God now, our sight is hindered. We see dimly. Then, when we see Him face to face, our sight will be unhindered. Sin will be removed, and we will see His image fully. We will see Him face to face no longer a mere reflection. It is His reflection we are beholding as in a mirror, and all the while being transformed into the same image. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, as we look into the image of Jesus, as we behold Jesus, and how do we behold Jesus? We behold Him by faith. We see Him by faith. One of the greatest ways you can see Jesus is to open up this Word. This word is given to us to reveal Christ to us. This word is our mirror. 
When we read the word, we're looking into a mirror and we are to see Christ. And we are, as children of God, to see Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. And this mirror allows us to see ourselves and to see our imperfections and to see all of our hair out of place. Sorry, guys, I don't have to worry about that. But some of you do. And so you look in the mirror to make sure that your hair is right where it's supposed to be, that you don't have your shirt, you know, buttoned cattywankas. You don't have them buttoned off or your, your tie's not straight or you got that chocolate smudged on your... What do you do? You look in the mirror and you clean that chocolate off your face. You fix your hair where it's nice. You straighten up your tie. You... The mirror allows you to see yourself for what you are, but it also allows you to make those adjustments and corrections. This is what the Word of God does as we read it. As we read the Word of God and we see Christ on every page, it reflects and reveals who we are. And God, by His Holy Spirit, helps us make the adjustments and the corrections. He grows us up. He conforms us to Christ. This is why the Word is so important. This is the work of the Spirit, the anointing that abides in us. Remember, John talks about this. You have an anointing. Well, that anointing is the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And that anointing that abides in you is transforming you and conforming you to the image of the Son of God. In fact, Paul writes in Romans 8, 28 and 8, 29, this is our destiny. We are destined as children of God to be conformed to the Son of God. Verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, when we read those words and we see that phrase, everyone who has this hope purifies himself, we might be tempted to think that John is telling us that we can somehow purify ourselves or somehow make ourselves holy, and we cannot do that. And John is under no illusion here. He's not contradicting the Scripture. John is telling us something very practical here. It's very consistent with the theme of this whole letter, that if we are indeed children of God, if we have indeed been born of God, then our lives are going to look a certain way. John knew that we cannot purify ourselves in the sense that we make ourselves holy and righteous before God. John knew that it is Christ alone who makes us holy, and he purifies us by his blood shed for us to cleanse us from our sin. We are purified, we are made holy by the blood of Christ. We are not justified by works. We are justified by faith, but faith works. Because we have been made holy, because we have been set apart for Him, because we have been given new hearts to love Him and to obey Him, we can live a holy and righteous life in Jesus Christ. This is how our faith works. It is made known through the practice of our life. Very simply, our desire, our aim is to be like God. We are exhorted to be holy because God is holy. Listen to the words of, 
of the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Peter writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, because God is holy, we are to be holy in all of our conduct. Well, how do we know what holy conduct is? <clears throat> well, we have the Word of God. That's why God gave us the Scripture. That's why God preserved the Scripture. Because this reveals to us what holy conduct is. How do we know? The Word of God, the Scripture, teaches us. God's Word is true, it's relevant, it's eternal. It is for our life today and always. Culture may change, but do you know that sin does not change? Man today in the 21st century is dealing with the same sin that he dealt with after the fall in the garden. Righteousness does not change. The 21st century world is still under the same sin and death it's been under since the fall of Adam. Sin does not change, nor does our need for a Savior change. God's Word, with the Spirit's guidance, teaches us how to walk just as He walked. It teaches us the Word of God. It teaches us how to walk in the light just as He is in the light. And John goes on in verse 4 and he writes, For whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Character and practice cannot be separated. This word translated commit. In this verse, and we find this actually, you don't see it in your English translation, but it is throughout this section of Scripture that we're re reading, where it says he who... Uh, does not sin, he who practices righteousness. In the Greek, if we were reading Greek, we'd see this is the same word peppered throughout this verse. Here it's translated commit. And John writes, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Well, this word commit literally means to do, to make, to perform, to practice. It's not a random or occasional disconnected act. This conveys, this is one of those weighty words. It has very deep meaning. This conveys what we do on a regular, ongoing basis. This is why your ESV will, will put the word practice in there. We see it also in the New King James, but doesn't always say, uh, convey that. But this is what is is being taught us here. This word is talking about what we do on a regular, ongoing basis. It is the practice of our life. It is our lifestyle. What is your lifestyle? What is the practice of your life? If it is sin, then it is lawlessness, because sin is lawlessness. And whoever makes a practice of sin commits lawlessness. 
So this is very plain. It's not difficult to understand. Then in verse 5, John goes on and he says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So remember from our study on Wednesday nights, our study of Romans, we were all under sin, and sin is not whether we live a moral life or not, because we can live very moralistic lives and still be in sin. Moralism doesn't save us. We can look really good on the outside like the Pharisees. They were very moralistic people. But Jesus said, you're filthy on the inside. You're like dead men's bones. You just whitewash the tomb, but on the inside, it's death. So moralism doesn't save us. But if we're children of God, should we live moral lives? Absolutely. And so John writes, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. He came to conquer sin and death. And so he did so that we would also. This is why we don't fear physical death. It's like Caleb was talking about in Sunday school. The rhythm of our life is death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Darkness and light. Darkness and light. It's a rhythm. But we know now in Christ, because Christ conquered death, death has no hold on us. Ultimately, what death means is separation from God. We will never be separated from God if we are children of God. And so in Christ, we are no longer dominated by sin. We've been delivered from the dominion of sin by the law of the spirit of life in Christ. So now in Christ, we are set free from the law of sin and death. Sin is still present with us, remember? Sin is all around us. Sin's in our members. That's why we're dying. We can give our members over to sin, but sin can no longer rule over us. And if we are in Christ, baptized into his death, walking in the newness of his life, then the question would be, why would we want to live lives dominated by sin? And the, the, the answer is we would not. And this is exactly John's point here in his letter. In him there is no sin. If we are in Christ, we cannot practice a lifestyle of sin because it is contrary to his holy and righteous nature. And when we were born again, we, were, we became partakers of His divine nature. So to live a life, to make a practice of sin is completely contrary to the nature of who we are and who He is. Now, verse 6, whoever abides in Him does not sin. So you see the progression here. If I'm born of God, my life looks a certain way. If I'm in Christ, then I cannot sin because Christ lives in me. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So in verse 2, John wrote, We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But here in verse 6, he says, Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. 
Here where it says whoever abides in him does not sin, that word does, does not, is that Greek word that is conveying this idea of making a practice. In other words, whoever abides in him does not make a practice of sin. Whoever practices sin has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever practices sin is not like him and shall not see him. And we already know what they shall be. So those who are children of God, born of God, we know now we are children of God, but we don't know what we shall be. It has not been revealed yet. But we know that we will be like him because we shall see him for who he is. Those are the children of God. Those are the ones who practice righteousness. Not moralism, righteousness. How do we become righteous before God? By faith. Righteousness is trusting Jesus. Righteousness is not moralism. So when you hear me say the words practice righteousness, understand first and foremost, this is you trusting Jesus. And out of your trust, out of your faith of Jesus, your life is going to look a certain way. It's going to look very much like the life of Jesus. And you're going to love the things Jesus loved, and you're going to hate the things Jesus hated. Yes, Jesus hated things. Contrary to what the world believes today. The world believes he loves everything and everyone. But that's just not scriptural, because God hates sin. So he who practices sin has not seen him. Whoever practices sin is not like him. And they will not see him. And because they are living in sin and they are of sin, we already know what they shall be. Remember, our sin is rooted in our unbelief. Unbelief is trusting in anyone or anything but God. Adam did not trust God. He sinned. He ate the fruit. There wasn't anything wrong with the fruit. There wasn't anything wrong with the tree. The problem was Adam did not obey God. He had unbelief. He believed he had a better way than God. Do you see how often we fall into that sin? We do it in small ways. We do it in big ways. But we do it mostly in small ways. I think my way is better than God's. Well, I know the Bible tells me to do this, but you know... I think God will understand. Oh, that's pretty presumptuous. It's better just to obey God and not presume that he will understand. You know why? Because God hates sin. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. And we should hate the things that God hates, which means that we should desire to walk in obedience to him. And the beauty of it is, is he has by his grace now given us the power and the ability to do that in Jesus Christ. So our intent and desire and actions are to demonstrate a lifestyle of trusting Jesus. Faith is not just what we say we believe. Faith is the practice of our life in all things. Not just for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning, but in all things. And we can say that we have seen him 
And we can say that we know him. We can say that we trust him. But the proof of that reality is revealed in our daily living and the lifestyle that we practice. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So John is saying this very thing. Words are cheap. Don't just give lip service. There are lots of people out there. Remember, even today, there are many antichrists in the world and in the church. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. I talked to someone this week. I asked them if I could pray for them. They said, sure, you can pray for me, but I probably don't pray the way you do. But I do believe in the power of the universe. I said, well, I said, just know that I am going to pray for you. Because if you're trusting in the power of the universe to save you, hmm, not good. Lots of power in the universe. True. No power to save you, though. But you see, this is, this is not an uncommon thing. This is where a lot of people are. They're trusting in the power of the universe. Some higher power somewhere is going to save me. No. There's only one higher power that can save you. That is Jesus Christ. So if we're children of God, born again and made holy by the Spirit of God, it will be reflected in our life. We will walk as He walked. We will and, and when we fall down, we're going to get back up and we're going to keep walking. And you will fall down. Just get back up and keep walking. Give your sin to God. Repent. Confess it to Him. Trust Him that He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And just keep on walking in the light as He is in the light. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. I love this verse of Scripture. Again, what is being conveyed here is a practice, a consistency of lifestyle. He who makes a practice of sin is of the devil. He is lawless just as the devil is lawless. The devil has sinned from the beginning. From the time sin was found in him. Jesus told the Pharisees, that they were children of the devil. Even Jesus knew we're not all children of God. They were children of the devil because they did not practice righteousness. They did not trust in Jesus, the one who is our righteousness. Listen to the words of Jesus to the Pharisees in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. John writes, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil, the works of sin and death, is destroyed by the work of Christ. We may wonder what Jesus destroying the works of the devil means for us. Sam Gamgee, you know Sam Gamgee? Anybody know Sam Gamgee? 
Will Sam Gamgee ask Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, will everything sad come untrue? Well, of course, Sam is a fictional character, but that is a question real people have been asking since always. C.S. Lewis wrote in his work, The Great Divorce, Some mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. Lewis writes, heaven will turn even that agony into glory, meaning heaven will turn all agony into a glory. Yes, everything sad will come untrue. It will. The Apostle Paul addresses this question about the sad becoming untrue. In Romans 8.18, he writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4.17, he writes, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is the promise of God. This is the sure hope we have in Christ. This is why we do not look to this world or the things in this world to find our hope and our security and our happiness and our fulfillment. This world and the things of this world are passing away. What we have in Christ, though, is eternal. It can never pass away. All that the devil has worked through sin and death will become untrue one day because of Jesus. All that is broken and painful now will be turned into a glory. Praise His name forevermore. Verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Whoever has been born of God does not make a practice of sinning. Why? Because the seed of Christ remains in him. If his seed, who is Christ, remains in us, then we cannot live to practice sin. We live to his glory. This is what it means to be born of God. If we are born of God, we cannot live a life of sin. To practice a lifestyle of sin would be contrary to Jesus Christ. It would be contrary to the Spirit, and it would be contrary to His Word. If we are born of God, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Therefore, we cannot make a practice of sin. To do so would mean we are not born of God. It would mean that we are not children of God. So we go back to our Beginning verse, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. To be a child of God can only happen through birth. That is the second birth, the new birth of the Spirit. It is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
of God. For those who have eyes to see, the kingdom is here and it continues to come and it continues to fill the earth as the children of God go forth with the gospel and obey Christ and make disciples of the nations. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only do we see the kingdom, but one day we will see him as he is and we shall be like him. And that day, all that is and ever has been sad and broken will become untrue. That will be a glorious day indeed. Until then, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us go forth and obey Christ, making disciples, filling the earth with His glorious image, made manifest in the children of God. Praise be to God for His grace, which makes all of this possible in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us prepare to come to the table and give Him thanks for His grace. We confess the Apostles' Creed each week. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Not the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church. We believe Roman Catholics are part of the church too if they're trusting in Jesus. And anyone, whatever faith tradition or denomination you might hail from, if you count yourself a member of Christ's body, if you're trusting Jesus, if you count yourself a child of God, these covenant children, we count them as members of the body of Christ, you are welcome to this table. We'll all be served together and then we'll all take the elements together. Christian, welcome to Jesus. Welcome to the table. Let's all stand. In your charge today, I want to remind you that John begins this chapter with the word behold. We are instructed to see, to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Do not let the grace and the weight of that escape you, that you are called children of God. If we are children of God, then let us live as His children, practicing righteousness, walking in the light as He is in the light, walking just as He walked. May our life provide the contrast needed for the world to see Christ in us, the hope of glory, and the only hope in life or death that we or anyone may have. Now more than ever, we must grasp what it means to be called children of God, and we must walk and live consistently and courageously as His children. And I pray that we do it with joy, knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen.